0: I love coming here, and I, would, I could never say no to Kathy, no matter what she asked me to do. I would come, no matter what the circumstances were, um, and I, I love this church. I love just looking at you, sitting here, so anxious to hear from the Lord, and I'm just praying that what I have to say will help you and uh, lead you closer to Him. Uh, <clears throat> when we first uh, started this lockdown thing, our church printed up these big yard signs, and they, I was thinking about this when we were singing those songs about Christ's return, and um, they said hope is not canceled. And um, I, I got, I went down to church, I got my sign, and came back. I put it in the, my front yard with such faith and hope and and I know this hope is not hope is not canceled because I have the hope of Jesus Christ I have the hope of all ages a hope is not canceled and I was so definite and so sure that I was going to make it through this and then as the days and the weeks went by <clears throat> I had to say that I knew that hope was not canceled but everything else had been canceled <laughs> and I was left just with my hope not being canceled which should have been enough but, um, and I realized where I was looking and what I was hoping for in those months was not going to happen. I had all these plans. It was um, going to be summer. My kids were coming from out of town, my grandkids were coming. I had my calendar all marked up with who was going to be in my house, when they were going to be there. I had my plans all made because when my kids are coming to my house, I pull out all the stops. I get everybody's favorite food. I get everybody's favorite candy. I get all their favorite toys, their stuffed animals out for the grandkids and the beds they're going to sleep in. I have this whole thing that I do to get ready. I love to get ready. I I email them. What can I have here for you that would really bless you and make you happy? And what can we do when you're here that would be exciting for you? And I I begin to get ready and I clean the house like a mad woman. I tear through it. I clean things I hadn't even thought about in a long time. And I change all the beds and I put fresh towels and I put fresh flowers in everybody's room and I wait. And, And if they're coming to the airport, I go down and get them and I don't pull up to the curb. I park my car. I go in, and I'm standing there when they come off the escalator. And if they're coming to my house, even if I have to wait an hour, I'm not going to be inside. I'm going to be outside on my front step waiting to bring them into my house. But nobody was coming, and it it just made me so sad. And I was talking to the Lord, and I said, you know, I'm just, I can't believe that all these preparations that I love to make, I don't need to make, because <clears throat> nobody's coming. And there was this big silence, and I felt the Lord speak into my heart, and He said, well, you could still get ready. And I said, well, but who's coming? And He said, I am. And I realized how I had just overlooked that reality. That was where my hope should have been, into His coming. And so I began to change what I was doing to start getting ready for His coming. And I used the same list that I use when my kids are coming. I cleaned. I cleaned out the sin in my heart. I cleaned out my laziness. I cleaned out my doubts. I cleaned and got ready. I filled My life with a sweet smelling fragrance that I know he would sense when he came in. I wanted to have all his favorite things, and I can remember during the process I'm going, But I don't know, I don't know what your favorite things are to get ready. And he said, You are my favorite thing. And the sweetness of that just changed my whole attitude about all that I loved being canceled because the one that I loved the most had not canceled anything, and he was on his way back to get me. But what a wonderful, timely, needed, corrective, encouraging theme this is for this time. I can't imagine anything better than reminding us to be looking unto Jesus. What a strange time we are living in, in our country, in this election year, in the middle of a pandemic, In all the confusion and all the fear, in the airport in San Diego when I was getting on my flight, I've never seen so many really obviously fearful people. The look in their eyes was something I'd never really seen before. There's confusion. There's controversy. There's division. There's division in our churches. There's division in our country. There's division in in Washington. This is a strange time to be living in, and oh, how we need to be reminded where we should be looking, looking unto Jesus, looking to him and for him. It sounds so easy, so reasonable, so necessary that we would do this. But I'm telling you, at this time, it's so easy to look around at all the craziness that there is. To look at what all the experts and the non experts and those who think they are experts are saying. To look at the statistics. To look at the death rate. To look at the infection rate. To look for answers. To look to our leaders. To look for the election, if that would help. To look at all these other things when God wants us simply to look at Him, not at the problems, not at the politics not at the pandemic, not at the people, not at the fake news, not at the bad news, not at the good news. Certainly this is an interesting and fascinating time that we are living in. I really believe that Jesus has stood up from heaven and is ready to take that step down here to get us. Prophecy is being fulfilled almost on a daily basis. We've been locked in, locked out, locked down Our economy has been taken down, and yet all this that tries to draw my eyes away from Jesus, I need more than ever to be focused on him. And the verses that Kathy chose... What we need to be looking for, what we need to be looking at, we need to be um, looking unto Jesus, ready for his coming. We need to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We need to be looking for the mercy into eternal life and looking and hastening the day of his coming. That's where we should be looking. And this word, looking, is not it's not a suggestion. It's not like the Word or God or the Holy Spirit is saying, why don't you look away from that and look at me? It is, it reads like a command and it requires discipline. It requires determination that we look to him. And it also should be and must be motivated by love for who we look at. My husband, Michael, tells the story of when our our first child to get married, our oldest child, Mindy, <clears throat> got married. And he tells that he stood at the back of the church with her before the doors opened, and she was hanging on to him. She was nervous, and she was looking at him, and he, she was teary and, he, and crying a little bit, and he was praying for her, and they were holding on to each other. And he thought it was just such this sweet, sweet time that they were having together. But the minute that the door opened and she stepped onto that aisle, She only looked one place, and that was at her groom. She never again looked at her dad. She didn't look around at the beautiful decoration. She didn't look around at all the gathering of family and friends that were there. She never looked at me. I'm waiting in the first row, hoping she'd go, Oh, Mom, you've been the best. Didn't look at me. Not not once. She looked only at him because he was her future. He was her life. He was her love he was her groom she only had eyes for him and it's the gaze of a bride that we need to bring to our savior he is our groom and we need to look at him with eyes of love fixing our eyes on him it draws us to us do you know god designed our body i think this is interesting that your body will move according to what you are looking at. Um, you can't look over here and walk in that direction. It's kind of like if you're ever driving. I don't know if your freeways are like this, but our freeways—they're always doing construction. So there's—and I like the fast lane. I hate to tell you, but so I'm always in the fast lane, and it has this big concrete barrier that's there. And then as soon as I see a section where this concrete barrier is going to be, oh no, I know I'm going to drive right into it. And I—and I, and I want to look at it, but if I took, look at it like that, then my Hands on the steering wheel follow. I've actually run into one of those concrete things. Follow my car over to there. God designed us so that we would move toward and walk toward what we are looking at. That's why it's so important that you have your eyes on him. Looking at him also keeps us from falling it keeps us from falling. It keeps our balance. Uh, my mother was a, a ballet teacher, so she she put me in ballet from the time I was five till I was in my 20s. I wasn't very good at it, but my mother was a ballet teacher, so that's what we did. But I can remember that this is what they taught me. You know, when you stand as a ballerina and you twirl around and round and around, you have to find what's a a set point, that as you come around, you're always going to look exactly at that same thing every single time. And if you do, you won't fall over. You won't lose your balance. And I learned to do that as I learned to dance. Looking at him, it keeps our balance. It keeps us from falling. It moves us closer and closer to him. So let's look at our verse for this week, Hebrews 12. And I know it's verse 2, but I'm going to start with verse 1 because it's just too good to miss. In fact, I kind of wanted to go back to chapter 11, but <clears throat> I controlled myself um, because this is um, this message is about faith, and Hebrews 12:1 and 2 says this. Therefore, and Chuck Smith always taught me that where there's a therefore, there's a wherefore, and the wherefore of this therefore is chapter 11. So we're we're going to be—he's going to talk to us now about the author and finisher of our our faith. But before he does that, he's going to give this whole chapter of faith, all these heroes of the faith that you know and that you've read about—Sarah and Abraham and Moses and Jacob and Joseph and Enoch and Abel and Rahab and all of them listed in chapter eleven. It's called the Hall of Faith. All these stories of faith. So that's the wherefore of the therefore, and therefore now. Paul says in the first verse of chapter 12, he says, Therefore, we also, we also now are aligned with all those in chapter 11. We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. This is the cloud of written witnesses that he's talking about in chapter 11. And then I love this word, and I I spent a lot of time this summer, I didn't bring my notes for it, studying this This one word, because I think it's so interesting, it says let. Let us. Let us. And and that word let, it's like when he says, if anyone desires to be my disciple, let him deny himself and pick up his cross. There's so many places in scripture where it says let. It's like there is a dangerous ability on our part right here to choose whether we will do this or not. Let us run this race. Let me read it to you the whole thing, verses one and two. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us, and this is what we need to do now, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us and what do we look at as we run looking unto jesus the author and the finisher of our faith laying aside every weight and sin let us run with endurance this race this life this journey that we are on with endurance and how do we do it we look unto Jesus. Now just this, these next few sentences are so rich. I'm just going to go after them one on one at a time. And I hope you see how the beauty of them looking unto Jesus. First of all, who are we looking at? We are looking at Jesus. And what has he done? He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He began it And he will finish it. We are looking at Jesus, who is the author and the finisher of our faith. That is what he has done. And why did he do it? I love this. For the joy that was set before him. I used to look at this and wonder, what joy was there? What joy was there in the cross and the crucifixion and the beatings and the the, the denial and the desertion by all your disciples? What joy was that? that was set before him. This is why he did it, for the joy set before him. And then I came across this scripture in, in Jude. I think it's, um I can't remember what verse it is. It says, now unto him who was able to keep you to, from falling and to present you with great joy. You know what that joy was? It was me. It was you. That was the joy set before him that he could the author and finisher of our faith. At the finish, he could present us to his Father. And look how he did it. He endured the cross. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. That's how he did it. He endured the whipping, the lashing, the crown of thorns, the shame, the pain, all of it. For the joy of presenting me, And you to his father. And I love the last part of it. And where is he now? He has sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. This is who we look at. This is who he is, what he has done, why he did it, and how he did it, and where he is now. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God, risen, resurrected, fully, completely alive. We look unto this Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. Why would we not fix our eyes on him, this savior, this sacrifice? He was the author and the finisher. I love the fact that he was the author. That talks about that moment of believing faith that even was a gift from him. He began, that Philippians says, he began this good work in me and he will finish it. In the until the end, and he is the author and the finisher. He started, he gave me the faith to believe and received him. I looked unto him, like it says in the book of Samuel, I looked unto him and I was saved. He began it, he authored it, he ordained it, he planned it, he saw me, he found me, he called me, he saved me, all by faith, the author of my salvation. And he will also finish it. I'm glad that he's going to finish it, and I don't have to. This faith he began in me will be complete, finished on that day when he ushers me into heaven. The beginning faith, the finishing faith. I set my eyes, my gaze on him. But as I read this, I realized that when it says the author... And the finisher of our faith, there was this, like it was like a timeline, there was this long space in between, this space in the middle between when I was saved and when I get to go and be with Jesus. And it is where we are right now, we are here in the middle, this life. Scripture calls it a race, a path, <clears throat> a sojourn, a journey, a battle, a wrestling match even. This is the middle part. And I need faith as much in the middle as I needed it to be saved, and I'll need it to be taken into heaven. The whole chapter 11 is story is about faith in the middle. The whole New Testament is stories about faith in the middle. Faith in prison, faith in persecution, faith in battles, faith in heartbreak, faith in war. In the middle, that time span, that's where we run the race. That's when we fight off the enemy. That's when we press towards the mark. That's when we cast our burdens upon him. Faith in the middle. And here we are tonight, and I don't know if you're with me right now, but I am right in the middle. I'm in the middle, and you know what? the middle stinks sometimes. the middle is hard. Anybody else having a hard middle time right now? I thought i'm I'm so old, I really thought that my I really thought my life would get easier. it has not. I would say honestly to you, my life right now this week this time is harder than it has ever been and and I have a good life. I have a lot of joy, I have a wonderful husband, I have amazing kids. I've, beautiful grandchildren, but still life is so hard smack dab in the middle between salvation and eternity. We're in the middle of a pandemic. We are right in the middle and maybe your middle is looking like my middle because there can be problems and pain and perplexities. There can be doubts There can be dangers and difficulties and disease and death and divorce in the middle. can be wayward children. We can become fearful, faithless. But I want you to know that God has proven himself to me over and over again. He is just as faithful in the middle as he was at the beginning and he will be at the end. He is just as faithful in the middle. He is just as present. He is just as loving he is just as good, he is just as powerful, he is just as trustworthy in the middle. Faith in the middle, faith that saved me, safe, faith that will take me home, and faith that is sanctifying me in this middle section of my life. Oh, how I need to very deliberately look and fix my eyes on my faithful savior in the middle. When my faith faith wavers, falters, sometimes even fails, I fix my eyes on my faithful God. He is faithful and he will will not suffer us to be tempted above what we are able to endure. Temptations come to you in the middle and they do. He is faithful. In the middle, in your temptations. In the middle, sometimes I think I'll never be holy. I'll never be right. And then I read that the Lord is faithful to sanctify us wholly. The very God of peace sanctifies you wholly. In the middle, when evil surrounds me, I want you to know that he is faithful to establish and keep you and keep you safe from evil. All that happens in this middle section of this timeline, he is faithful. He is faithful to forgive me when I sin because the faith in the middle is about his faithfulness more than it is about mine. Mine can be fragile, mine can be rattled, but it's not about me, it's about him. I love there's a verse in 2 Timothy that says, Even if we believe not, yet he remains and abides faithfulness. When I'm in the middle of a battle, I fix my eyes on my victorious Savior. When I'm in the middle of a conflict, I fix my eyes on the one who solves and cures all conflicts. You know what happens in the middle? In the middle, our faith grows. In the turmoil, we discover the Prince of Peace. He gives peace beyond reason. In the tragedies in the middle, we discover that he gives joy for mourning. In the middle, we grow up. In the middle, we learn to pray. I will not have to pray at the end. I'm only going to have to praise I hardly had to pray at the beginning. I said a quick prayer of salvation, and it was done. But in the middle, I have learned to pray. In the middle, I have learned that God even hears and acknowledges the very breath of prayer. Even the, the, the moanings of my prayer, he hears. I have learned in the middle that I can cast all my care upon him because he cares for me. I have learned in the middle that I do not need to be anxious for anything but to pray instead. I have learned in the middle that I can feed on his faithfulness and my faithfulness will grow. When I feel defeated, I look to my faithful Savior who defeated his enemies, defeated the devil himself, and defeated the grave. And I find victory in the middle, our faith grows and is strengthened. In the middle, our faith is proven. Our enemy shows his hands in the middle, but our victorious Christ comes and wins our victories. In the middle, God reveals our sins to us. But in the middle, we can look to the cross and receive the mercy and grace of God, our Savior. In the middle, you can feel desperately alone, but look, Jesus is beside you in the middle his presence is nearer dearer sure than ever before i can look to him i can look up and see where he is isaiah said i looked up and saw him on the throne john in the book of revelation looks up and sees the heaven opened and there is jesus sitting on the throne I can look up and know that my Savior in the middle is still on the throne. He is high and lifted up. He is ruling. He is reigning. He is working all things together for my good and for your good at this very moment and for his glory. Right in the middle. Look at him. Fix your eyes on him. The Greek word for looking in this translation actually it has two parts. It means to look away and to look to. And I love that it's a present tense verb. It's not a past tense ber- verb. It doesn't say looked. It's not present, future tense. It doesn't say we will look. It says looking. This is an ongoing activity that you and I discipline ourselves to do, looking away and looking to him. Faith in the middle, the life in the middle. Oh, what I have learned and how I have grown and how he has proven himself to me over and over and over again it has not been easy. It has not always been victorious, but he has never once failed me. <clears throat> a couple years ago, maybe it's three or four now, um, I learned a lesson about where I was looking, as I have learned many lessons about this. Um, but this was a particularly difficult And hard time in in our lives as our family in our in our the life of our church. Um, Michael had retired after 40 some years in the ministry and um, turned over the church to our youngest son, Philip. And um, not too long after that happened, um, the middle got really difficult for us all. A series of events occurred that were not within our control. That ended up with our church losing um, the 15-acre site we had been on for 30-some years. It was owned by the San Diego School District, and they had always told us when we get ready to sell this property, you will be the first one that we would take a a bid for. So they put it up on the market, and we went down to the county offices to make our bid, and somebody came in and paid twice what it was worth with cash, and we were left with nothing, no building, no building. No place to meet. We had to close our elementary school, our high school, our college, our preschool. And all this was happening while my son, Philip, new to being the senior pastor, was in charge. And as a mother, it grieved me. I wanted it to stop. I wanted it to get better so young how is he ever going to make it through this i remember him calling me one day and saying that in just that one day he had had to let 200 people go many of whom were his teachers because he'd gone to school there his whole life now there was no school there were no jobs he had to let all the secretaries go most of the pastoral staff we had no place to meet we had no place to go he was heartbroken then the day came that was the last day that we had access to that property, and uh, Mike was out of town, and I went. Um, I went down there to pick up some of Mike's library, some papers that he'd left, and and I broke my heart to drive on to this property that I've been driving onto for I don't know how many years, and um, that I knew it was the last time that I would ever set foot on that property, and I. I uh, got out of my car and I loaded the stuff in it that <clears throat> I needed to take home. and I, and I looked around and and it was it was just it was devastating. And I could not, for the life of me, figure out why God had allowed this. Why would he take from us our property and move this carnal school in there that was even going to have nude models in their art class? How would he have allowed that? How could this have happened? And I remember I was loading my car and Philip came over to help me um, put some heavy boxes in and and I looked at him and he'd was he been there for days. He was covered in dust. He'd had to give away and clean out anything that was us. Um, But not only was he exhausted and covered in dust, but his face was full of pain and exhaustion and oh my heart my heart broke it broke for our congregation we had prayed we had fasted I I mean Mike and I had confessed every sin that we could possibly think of back into the time when we were children thinking maybe this was our fault Um, and and yet this had happened and so so I'm driving home and I'm all alone in my car and and I always have great conversations with God in my car probably because there's no distraction but this time um, bet, and I'm not a crier the tears are just pouring down my face and and I'm talking to God and I'm and these are the words I used to, to to say to him and they just fit so well with this message and I said I'm looking at this God I'm looking at all the faithful servants who have lost their jobs, who've been with us for years, who now have no employment. I'm looking at all the students who were educated here, the missionaries that went into the mission field from here. I'm looking at this campus where hundreds, probably thousands of people had been saved, sent to the mission field. I'm looking at our school, which was a, an award-winning, state basketball championship-winning high school, the, the envy of all the high schools in San Diego. Godly kids taught and raised there, closed forever, no place to go. Our two granddaughters, who were in their last year there, had could not go there for their senior year. And I talking to him, said, "I'm looking at this, and I got to tell you." this makes no sense, I'm looking at Philip, I'm looking at our staff, I'm looking at the heritage that we thought we were living, we were leaving to him. How could you let this happen? And very quietly he spoke into my heart and he said, okay, look at Philip. And I said, I was just there looking at Philip did you not see me on the campus loading my car? I was just there looking at Philip. He's exhausted. He's defeated. I think he's scared. And he said, oh, look again. See what I see. I have done a work in that man's life that could have been done no other way. This tragedy has driven that man deep into my word. This loss has made him drawn closer to me than ever before. This heartbreak has broken his heart for the lost and for the unsaved. Look at Philip. See what I have done. And I stopped and I pulled over to the side of the road and I looked through my spiritual eyes at what was happening to my son and I could see all this in him. I could see this work that had been done that maybe could have been done no other way. And I sat there and I was so sorry that I was so judgmental and so critical of what God was doing. I'm sitting there in my car all by myself, and and then, and I, and I just thought this was so sweet, I heard him say, child, now look at me. Look at me. Have I ever failed you once? Fix your eyes on me. Set your eyes, your affection, your life, your heart, On me. Align yourself with me. Look at me. I am the God who saved you. I am the God who loves you. I am the God who's going to welcome you home. Look at me. Look at him. If you're in the middle of a tragedy, a trouble, and you don't understand, and you're looking everywhere but him, you're right in the middle. Set your eyes back on him. And see who he is and what he has done and what he is going to do. Don't look at the pandemic. Don't look at the trouble we're having in our country. Look at him. Faith in the middle is the faith that we need. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, I can tell by looking out at these women that there's many here who are troubled and hurting and right in the middle of a, a problem or a confusion or a a heartbreak or I can see it on their faces and in their eyes would you, as you did that day in my car, would you just so beautifully and gently speak into their minds and their hearts and their spirits right now and just tell them, child look at me look at me I will see you through I will get you through till the end Lord, you are not only the God of our, my saving faith and my secure place in heaven. You are the God in the middle. And in the middle, I have learned to love you and trust you and see you more than I ever have before. Thank you for that, for that work. Do that in all of us, Lord. Turn our eyes, the scripture says, away from useless things. And may we set them totally and completely on you. Faith in the middle. Take us through. Teach us what we need to learn. Build us up in your word. Let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily besets us. And look only to you. And run this race right into your arms. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.